welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. I want us to start this morning by reading a familiar passage from Ephesians chapter 6. And it says these words, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of, given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Last week, we began a short series entitled Handle with Care, in which over a period of uh, three to four weeks, we're going to look how we are to handle appropriately in our everyday life some of the challenges that Christian truth, kindness, and forgiveness brings to us in everyday reality to examine how we are to see the outworking of these great biblical truths, these great biblical concepts in the, in the everyday aspect of our life, that they're not just simply words on a sheet, they're not simply this body of theology, they're not just words that we sing about, but we apply them to every day of our life. Truth, kindness, and forgiveness. We started last week by looking at the, the challenge of truth, to be truthful and to stand for truth in a world that, has, that puts a lessening value on truth. And where social experts are telling us that we are now living in a post-truth society. We looked at that very briefly. That this is a phrase that will increasingly become more and more in our press and more and more in our vernacular because in 2016, the Oxford Dictionary chose post-truth as the word of the year. We saw that post-truth as an adjective is this, defining, relating to circumstances in which objective facts or objective truths that are less influential in shaping public opinion than something that appeals to emotion and personal belief. Said another way, how one's feelings or how one thinks about a situation or something is far more influential in shaping decisions and attitudes than the truth around the situation. And we quoted, looked at the example of the presidential election last year about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and we looked at the Brexit, that those decisions to vote for those people or that, that the leaving of the European Union was not really based around a lot of facts. People had made their mind up and they were gonna vote irrespective of what they heard. That what we feel is far more important than the facts about a situation. As long as something feels okay, as long as it feels all right, then it's good, good enough to go ahead. And in some ways that is quite alarming. 
we continued then last week by framing our look at truth by saying that truth and love have to go together. And we heeded the words of Paul to the church in Ephesus when, we, when he says, speak the truth in love. That speaking the truth in love is paramount. And it's about having a motivation, not just to correct people, that's not what it's about, but it's anchored in the love of God, it's anchored in the love for his truth, anchored in the love for one another and for the community of faith, building one another up and looking to see people grow and develop in God, not undermining, but building people up. As one writer says, she says, solid doctrine is our material, Love is our disposition, and maturity in Christ is our aim. Then we took some time to look at truth and relationships and saw that, wow, truth and relationships are an incredible, incredible minefield. And pastorally, it's quite a concern for us as a team. Far too often, we hear the following. Far too often, we hear people say this, oh, I could never say that because I don't know how they will react. Or far too often we hear, I could never say how they hurt me because that will only make things worse. And these are in good Christian relationships. Oh, I could never tell that person how, how, how wrong I feel they are because they wouldn't speak to me and the kids for days if not weeks. That these scenarios are way too common in relationships, in marriages, in families, and so on, not to talk about them. And that's what we did last week, we talked about them. So therefore, as we get into today's message, I want to start by referencing very quickly the growing and soon to become overwhelming evidence that telling or speaking the truth is better for your health, both physically and mentally, than not to. The truth helps us in the whole area of being healthy. I suppose as Christians, we shouldn't be uh, surprised at this because of the importance that the, the word of God puts on truth. And, um, but it's good to see that the medical research is taking us down that way to saying, being truthful in our relationships helps you be healthier mentally and physically. Anita Kelly, on behalf of the University of Notre Dame, Indiana, authorized a study on the effects of telling the truth or telling lies in situations. Her research, now corroborated by many others, points to the fact that when people lie, when people don't tell the truth, they are more prone to anxiety, more prone to feeling blue and to experiencing more frequent headaches, runny noses, bouts of diarrhea, and back pain. When people start to change their ways and tell the truth more often, they can improve their mental and physical health. In a group research where half the group of people were told, irrespective of whatever happens, irrespective of the consequences, you in this research are to tell the truth. You do not lie, you do not say half-truths, you always tell the truth. And there was another group who'd been signed up for this research, but they didn't know the context of what they were to do, and they were to live their life normally. And results showed that those who were instructed to reduce telling lies were significantly more healthy at the end of the research. That there is something happens when we tell the truth. Kelly's team discovered that participants who began always telling the truth experienced well over 50% fewer mental health complaints. 
and well over nearly 60% fewer physical health complaints than those who told lies. Those who told the truth at the, end of the at the end of the course were in happier relationships. They had better social interaction. Kelly herself says the following words. Kelly continues, surprisingly, the size of a lie doesn't appear to have much impact on its health effects. Both minor lies, like telling a friend you cannot meet for, for coffee because you have to go to work, and big lies, such as claiming false credentials in a job interview, can negatively affect your health. Both white lies and major lies are problematic because they both violate expectations of honesty in a relationship. And all of this leads to anxiety and guilt. Well, what am I trying to say here? Well, good point. Now, I am not saying for one second, please do not hear this, I'm not saying for one second that sickness is called caused because we're not telling the truth. Because the fact is that we live in a fallen world that is ravaged by sin. And of course, as Christians, we don't tell lies. So this is just for our information. This is, we don't even tell white lies. So this is not really relevant for any of us. But I am saying this, that we are created by God to be lovers of truth. And that we are created by God in our DNA that we are to resonate to truth, that truth is our default, that he has made us in his image. He has made us so wonderfully that we, even when we are fallen, even in the fact that we are sinners saved by grace, there are consequences to going against the way that God would have us live. You know, Proverbs says it like this, the Lord gives us a mind and a conscience we cannot hide from ourselves. Or as Mark Twain says, when in doubt, tell the truth. Some of that is just really as background. I just want to push in on a couple of three areas this morning. First of all, I want to talk about truth and valuing other people. Truth and valuing other people. I want us to look at this because in so many ways, it is a continuation on from and the building upon what we talked about last week in regards to speaking in truth, uh, speaking the truth in love. What we have coming together are two incredibly powerful biblical concepts. And if they come together, they are wonderful and life-giving and godly. But if we don't, then they will have a detrimental effect on our lives. Whether or not we wish to admit it, each and every one of us likes to be valued, a kind word, an encouraging word, or a word of thanks, or a word of appreciation, or something that is considered for us for our benefit. We love to be valued. It's part of who we are. It's part of, I believe, that God has made us. But when we are not valued, it is quite a devastating. When we feel as if someone is not valuing us, the effect is quite, quite damaging and detrimental. So the reason I wish to talk or touch on this is because it concerns me when I hear, and I hear it across Christian forums, and I hear it across many different forums, when it said something like this, oh, I'm not sure I can tell someone about something that isn't quite right in their life and needs to be rectified because I value them. Or something that said like this, oh, I can't say such and such to them because, of course, I value them. You know, we need to stop and for a moment for this is not valuing people if we are denying them the kind and constructive words of a faithful, faithful friend. It is a lack of courage 
a lack of courage hidden behind good, godly sounding language that we hope we will cover up something that we should be doing but aren't, but still yet makes us sound spiritual. When we fail to move in truth when we value people in the way that I have just already mentioned them, we are not valuing people, we are showing them false kindness. Not to say what the situation really is, we are being false kindness givers. In his book, The Power of the Other, Dr. Henry Cloud about, talks about this in an incredibly similar way, and he talks about a person in a given work situation who always is telling the other colleague, or is telling the, their mate, or that they were so wonderful and that they were so valued, and by doing this, shielded them from the truth, shielded them from what was really going on often shielded them from the reality of their mistakes, from the reality of things that they should have done better, the mistakes that they made, and so on. And in some ways was giving them a, a false sense of reality and perception. Dr. Cloud goes on to use this powerful phrase when he says, she was medicating the person against reality. It's a really powerful phrase. They were medicating against reality, because the absence of truth in a relationship wasn't valuing them, it was actually doing detriment. I love the story of what we commonly know as the woman caught in adultery. So much teaching packed into these oh, eight or nine verses, and I just want to read this to us. John says, early in the morning, Jesus, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, and wrote with his finger on the ground, and they continued to ask him. He stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. In this passage, Jesus does so much. This is one of those packed those passages that is so packed full of truth. You could speak on this for an incredible long period of time. In this Firstly, he calls out the disciples and those who wish to condemn him. He knows what's happening. He knows he's trying to be tricked. He's calling them out for condemning him, and he's calling out the troublemakers. He doesn't condemn her himself, and in fact, he supremely values her. He does put a high value on who she is. But whilst these things are good and true, 
it's not the complete story. There is more to it than just that. In the midst of these things, there are two other things that are happening here that make this such an incredible teaching moment. First of all, Jesus clearly regards the actions of which they accuse her of as being sin. Whatever they are accusing her of, Jesus is not denying the fact that it is sin. And, she, and he doesn't go soft on that. And secondly, he sees it as sin, but secondly, he tells her to stop, whilst valuing her above and beyond what anyone else had ever done before. He tells her the truth, and he speaks truth firmly. He doesn't back off, he doesn't compromise, he does it lovingly, but he speaks truth. <coughs> Biblical scholar Albert Barnes, when commenting on this passage, says that the language used here in the original Greek is that of the judiciary. It's of the magistrate. It's of the the courtroom. And this is because, as we read earlier, the Pharisees are trying to say to Jesus, what authority do you have? What authority do you really have? And if they could trick him, they were going to take what he said, and they were going to go to the Romans, and they were going to get him in a whole lot of trouble. And the barn says that really the language is of the courtroom. And he goes on to say this. Jesus says, basically in the original, this is what he says. You have sinned. You have been detected and accused. The sin is great. My direction to you is that you sin no more. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't bag her. But he tells her she has sinned and she needs to go and do it no more. He brings together truth and valuing people at the same time. You know, I can, you know, there's a lot about this story. First of all, it tells us it was early in the morning, so probably she was caught in bed with, with, with the guy that she was with, and folklore or what it would say that she was probably naked, and she probably, if she was lucky, she, she, she had a sheet over her, if she was lucky. So they would have brought her straight to Jesus. And I can imagine, I can really imagine Jesus doing this, picking up the sheet, putting his arms around her, saying, sweetheart, you need to read, you need to cover yourself up. I say, pet, you know what you're doing is wrong. You need to go home and you need to stop. No one's here to make you feel guilty. No one's here to condemn you. But what you're doing is wrong. Go and sort it out. Truth and value coming together wonderfully, as we would imagine, through Jesus. It may not be easy, but it's what we are called to do in working out our own Christian relationships, truly valuing people. Truth and feelings. I want to touch on this briefly in response to what we referred to earlier on about living in a post-truth society and the knock-on effect that this can have. I've, I've, hang, I've entitled this, this series of message, Handle with Care. And next week I want us to look at kindness. But I think that we really have to handle truth with incredibly, incredibly careful and especially in this whole area of being in a post-truth society and the whole area of growing in the things of God and discipleship. One of the most, <coughs> excuse me, one of the most popular messages of our society, if I'm really honest, that really, really does annoy me, is this proclamation, is this clarion call to follow your heart. You know, follow your heart and everything will be wonderful. Follow your heart and uh, you have, Everything's going to work out fine. Follow your heart and everything will be fine. It'll be full of adventures, of highs. And we put such a high 
value on our desires and following our heart. And in fact, we are encouraged to follow our heart in the major and the minor decisions of our life. I don't know, it just seems to really annoy me. We were buying a present yesterday for somebody, and we had to go to Chartwell, which is this like, oh man, but we went to Chartwell. I thought we'd be there for a few minutes. Buying this present took far longer. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) I'm, I'm just turning my back to that side. And we were, we were in Chartwell, and we were one of these, I don't know what they were, I was going to say a naff shop, but you wouldn't, may not know what that was, but one of these nice, cutesy little shops, and it was all about, all these things were inspirational quotes, and I was reading these inspirational quotes, and they were absolute, all the guys are all with me, I'm going to get a row when I go home, but all these inspirational quotes, and they were so, so terrible. You know what I mean? They were on mugs, and they were on plaques, and they were on everything. One of them says, don't chase your dreams, catch it. What the flip does that mean? <laughs> don't chase your dreams, catch it. I got no idea. Another one, which is actually quite disturbing, it says, never regret anything because at one time it was exactly what you wanted. I'll give you the address of the shop. No one. (laughs) So that all makes it right, because these are nice, inspirational quotes. I I can't speak for you, but I know that if I live my life by simply following my heart, I would have been a train wreck years ago. If I had followed my heart, followed what my heart just wanted me to do, I would have been an absolute mess. I wouldn't have known if I was coming or going or one end up from the other. You know, I am so pleased to be able to look back over my life and say there have been decisions when I have not followed my heart and I have followed the word of God and he has brought me through. And our feelings do not trump truth. Our feelings are submitted to these things. You know, again, speaking about myself, I can be my own worst enemy. I'm sure that you can be sometimes really that. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I just thank God so much for in my life, you know that I was raised on a farm. My, my dad was a dairy farmer, but he also had a real passion for horses. And I love horses. In, in, a, in a British congregation, you could never say this, because if you say you're into horse racing, people think, he's a gambler. He's a gambler. Ooh, you want to watch him? You go to France and you say this, and they say, oh, of course everybody's into horse racing. I'm not sure what it's here, but... I remember, I love horse racing, and I, for years and years and years, I, I followed horse racing, and I, I, I never gambled, and let me say that, I'll probably say it a couple of times in case you forget, but I, but, but I didn't gamble, but I followed horses, and since we've come over here, I, I haven't got into it, but I loved, the, I watched form, and I, with papers, and did that, and I was really, really good at it, because I would pick my winners. One funny story, I was, we have two big races in the UK, one in the spring and one in the summer, and one in the, in the um, springtime, I was in the, our town, and uh, a friend of Ben's came over and he said to me, Mr. Jones, I hear you're into horse racing. Can you give me a tip for today's big race? I said, Barry, of course I can. So I said, Barry, here are three horses you need to put your money on. I shouldn't have said that. Some of you think I'm going to go to hell because I said that. <laughs> Some of you may already think I was going to hell before. But I said, Barry, here's three horses. And he went, and the horses came first, second, and third. 
I paid for his summer holiday. But I am not a, that stupid to know that if I had gone down that pathway, I would have lost. I would have been a mug. I'd have been a fool if I'd gone into gambling or even done anything at all. And although something I was incredibly good at, God saved me from. And sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. And sometimes we can let our feelings get away with us. You know, some of you will be too, too young to remember this, but I often sing in my own personal devotion. You know, some of you, anybody remember Andre Crouch? Andre Crouch, uh, he died a couple of years ago, but in the 70s and 80s, he was up there with Jesus. He was so, so good. And he wrote these words, where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? Where would I be if Jesus didn't care? Where would I be if he hadn't sacrificed his life? Oh, but I'm glad. So glad he did. As attractive as following your heart message may seem, and all that accompanies this, adopting a mindset that allows our feelings to trump the word of God will end up being toxic and poisoning our spiritual lives. I love the, uh, the words of Jeremiah when he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Following our hearts cultivates an attitude of selfishness rather than being bond servants of, of Christ. I love the words of uh, Elizabeth Elliot, and I'll explain a little bit more. She was the, the wife of the, the, the late Jim Elliot, and she says these words, and I'll give you context in a moment. The difficulty is to keep a tight rein on your emotions or on our emotions. They may remain, but it, will not, but it is not they who are to rule the action. They have no authority. A life lived in God is not lived on the plane of the feelings, but of the will and of the truth. And to a certain generation here this morning, Elizabeth Elliot, we will know who Elizabeth Elliot is. We will know who Jim Elliot is. But there will be a lot who don't know Jim Elliot. Jim, and I, I quote, chose this quote quite deliberately. Jim Elliot was born in 1927, and he died on January the 8th, 1956. He had been called as a missionary to work in Central America with some... Indian, Indian folks, the Hirani Indians. And when he made contact with them, long story short, Jim Elliot not only died, he was butchered to death. And when they found his body, they said it was incredibly, incredibly mutilated. He was only 28 years old when he died. And Elizabeth Elliot is his wife. Jim Elliot is incredibly famous for this following quote when he says these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that, that which he cannot lose. Can we put back up her comment in light of what Jim and she had gone through, the death of her husband? She said, the difficulty is to keep a tight rein on our emotions. They may remain, but it is not they who are to rule the action. They have no authority. A life lived in God is not lived on the plane of the feelings, but of the will and truth. If anyone... If anyone had a right to be angry with God, to let her feelings run wild, and to get emotional and upset, and to say, God, where are you? She would have had every right to do it. But in the light of Jim being killed, that is how she responded. You know, Andy Stanley says it incredibly well, too. He says about truth. Truth reshuffles over emotions. Truth casts a revealing light of reality and truth on our emotions and feelings that are stirred up 
by lies, misunderstanding, and inaccurate interpretations of the circumstances of our life. In other words, truth brings a perspective to our feelings like nothing else does. Truth and authenticity. As we start to to bring this to some sort of conclusion, last week was the first time I'd spoken on a Sunday morning since we'd done the adjustments of the time. So I was coming to the end of my notes, and I looked up, and I thought, it's five, it's only 11 o'clock. I got about five minutes left to go, and we still got about 20 minutes of the gathering. And I, had this, uh, I was having this bit of cardiac arrest. What am I supposed to do? You've waffled already for 30 minutes. You can't waffle for another 20. And, but I just looked, and it's still the same time, so we're on track. I want to I talk about truth and, and authenticity. As we start, as I said, to bring this to some sort of closure. I want to touch on truth and authenticity. Truth in this context does need to be handled with care. What concerns me is with some current church blogs, some books, some literature that's coming out, and some of the philosophy that seems to be dominating the the Christian social media is that authenticity transcends everything else. As long as you are authentic, or being authentic, or being real, then you can say and virtually do whatever you want to do. But as long as you're being authentic, as long as you're, you're being real, authentic covers everything. Put another way, I really believe that evangelical Christianity can be in danger of making imperfection its point of celebration, its emphasis, its high point, as we become more and more embroiled in messy lives and messy spirituality. My concern is that on the one hand, we as Christians who are trying, unrightly so, trying very hard to purge ourselves of a polished veneer type of Christianity that smacks of hypocrisy and that sends out the message that all is fine and all is good when perhaps it isn't, And we do need to be on guard about that. And we do have to be real. But perhaps we are focusing on our brokenness and our subsequent authenticity too much. And we have talked too much about authenticity. This was about a couple of years ago. I had a couple of young people from my young adults come to me. And they, say, they said, Chris, we love to hear the, pe- the stories of people who um, tell us honestly and openly about their lives. We love it when people come and said that when they messed up here, over here, God redeemed them. That there was restoration, that there was healing, that there was all that. They say we love that. But sometimes we would like to hear testimonies of people who kept to truth, who trusted God, who didn't, in that sense, mess up. They trusted and believed in a God that would bring them through incredibly difficult temptations and circumstances and held firm. That really, really, really threw me. That we needed to hear testimonies of people who kept the truth. That That we champion those who keep the truth. That champion those who are faithful as much as those who are authentic in how they have messed up their lives and how God has redeemed them. And I want to just ask the question, I just want to stir the pot. Sometimes is authenticity and real a badge of honor when we need to say, guys, there is an alternative way here. 
and that there is power in truth. I believe that the Bible teaches us to live life in line with and in conformity with what we read and what we believe in spite of what we feel and in spite of what we would love to do. I don't know about you. There are sometimes I would love to do some things and I would love to say some stuff to some people. Probably you're Christian and I'm probably not now. But I would just sometimes like to tell people, man, oh, I'd like to do something. But you know, I am confined by the word of God because it is not good and holy and righteous and what it should be. And the words of my mouth are not honoring to God if I were to go down that way. And sometimes we need to say, gosh, you know, we love authenticity, but there is power in truth to live lives well. And that is where we need to go. To be a person committed to old-fashioned holiness involves living in a way that will always conflict with being real and being authentic. We are all still a work in progress. We are all still human people, human uh, fallen nature. And if I was true to myself, I think I would be violating some of this. You know, we're going to finish. Maybe the musicians could come and join us. We're going to finish in a couple of moments. I'm going to finish where we started. And we're going to come back to the, the armor of God. Probably many of you have heard incredibly good sermons on the armor of God. But the Roman guard would have a belt, and it would be called the kigulum. I don't know if we've got a picture of it. And um, anyway, and the belt was the most important thing in the armor. The belt went on first, and everything else followed. If the belt was not in place, nothing else would work properly. The belt was there, fine. No belt then there was no armor. No belt, then there was no defense. No belt, there was no protection. And we are told very clearly that with the belt of truth is to be part of our armor. And I don't believe that it's just one of those things or coincidental that it's named first. I believe the truth is named first because if we do not have the truth, if we do not have the belt at the core of who we are, everything else will ultimately fall to pieces and will, will fall off. And you know, it's, it's a very simple parallel. If we're not people who want to love truth, live in truth, speak truth, move in truth, everything else can be incredibly shallow. I want to finish by asking myself and asking you a question, if that's okay. Who has the final say in my life? When it comes to the decisions that I am making, when I come into the decisions we are making, how I navigate relationship, how I I can be the best husband I could possibly be, or how can I be the best dad? Or how do, how do I work? What's my work ethic? How do I speak? Who has the final say in my life in all those issues? Is it my feelings? Do I just simply do what I want to do? Or is, it, or is it a person? Am I scared of somebody? Or does somebody else dictate how I live my life? Am I scared of a parent, or a, or, or, or a partner, or a colleague? Or is it the culture? Is it I'm happy to buy into the culture? Or is it my comfort? Is it, well, this suits me, this is I am, and I'm happy doing this, and I really enjoy it. I pray for myself, and I pray for every one of us, that we will handle truth with care, that we will, when it comes to truth, we will cherish it, we will love it, we will keep it as a constant companion, and allow it to influence and shape us in everything that we do. Thanks for listening. 
We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.